0: evening. So I want to bring a topic to you tonight. I don't know why we got to fix that little click there. It's driving me up the wall. We want to talk. I want to bring a topic to you this evening, uh, a bit near and dear to my heart, if you will, but, but the title of the sermon and the idea of the message tonight is that of a rescuer. And I've kind of uh, drip fed a little bit. Um, maybe, maybe let's fix that, please. Uh, I've drip fed a little bit over the past couple of weeks. Um, I say past couple of weeks. I guess it's been the past couple of months because we were gone for uh, for four weeks. And um, on, on the idea of coming out of the book of James and, and finishing off that book. And over the last six months, we've looked at James. We've looked at several chapters and how, uh, how it applies to our life. Now, a rescuer is a person uh, who rescues something or someone from harm or from danger. They're trained in a combination of Technical rescues, diver rescues, mountain rescues, you know, advanced firefighting, all different types of rescues. And, and the term is typically used uh, with people who are doing a rescue or careers where rescuer is their job title. But the main job and the whole idea that we want to look at here tonight is we want to look at the main job of a rescuer someone who saves lives from dangerous environments, saving a life from a dangerous environment. Environment. We're going to come out of James in chapter 5 tonight. James in chapter 5. And I may have accidentally or incidentally removed that verse from there. And uh, but we'll get to it here in just a little bit. James in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide. A multitude of sins. Now, this has nothing to do with salvation. I want you to pay close attention to the words up there as James begins to close his his letter off. He's closing his book down. He's in the final two verses. There, he speaks very clearly to who he, who he's talking to. He's he's narrowed it down. He says, "Brethren, that is saved, born again believers, right there. Saved people, those who are in the church, part of the church, uh, born again souls, brethren. If any of you." shall, uh, or any of you, do err from the truth. Now, the reality is this. There were people in our lives today that are in troublous times. There are people in our lives who are, uh, are involved in dangerous circumstances, even deadly situations, and somehow, some way, life has, has caused them, or enabled them, or lured them, or even driven them to simply wander away from God. Some circumstances, guys, of life that has happened and and dragged people out, kicking and screaming, maybe, are 100% unavoidable, while others are a result of their own personal wrong choices. Either which way about it, they are people who have wandered away from God. You once knew them, you once went to church with them, you once maybe had prayer time with them, you had sweet fellowship with them, and and all of a sudden, they just kind of wander away from God. And so the book of James, guys, is unique in its teaching in many ways. Um, One way we know it's a general epistle. We've talked about this over the past several weeks. It means it wasn't written to one particular church. Now, I understand when you open the book up in chapter 1, it says that it's written unto the 12 tribes, okay? The 12 tribes who were, you know, scattered abroad. And so because of that, many, many, many people have taken this letter and they've made it Jewish, inherently Jewish, and they've written off the church and written off the practicality and written off the principles. If that be the case, guys, you can chuck 39 books out of the Bible uh, that is in uh, the Old Testament. And for that matter, take the book of Matthew, throw it away, because it's inherently Jewish as well. Revelation, hey, we're not even in there. You know, rapture of the church, it goes, you see what I'm saying? When you start nitpicking and say, well, that's not really written to us. The Bible tells me all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every drop, every part of Scripture that there is was given by God, hands down. And it's for our benefit. It may be things that aren't for our doctrine, okay, but they may be for our correction, our instructions, our reproof, our instructions in righteousness. And we need to understand that. But the book of James, and I don't think I've ever looked at James in the way that I have this year. I've always liked the book, but it's almost like like a shotgun. That's what it's like. It's like a shotgun. And for those of you who don't know what a shotgun is, that's a weapon, okay? And you hunt squirrel with it and birds with it and things like that and ducks. And those of you who do hunt pheasants. And a shotgun blast, guys, has a multitude of pellets. It just goes out there and it just hits anything that's in front of it. And that's what the book of James is like. It's just this spread shot. There's no hiding from it. There's no ducking. There's, I mean, you're going to get hit somewhere along the line within its five chapters. So it's going to hit us from a practical standpoint. It's going to hit us from a principle standpoint. My soul, we've already seen that in looking at the uh, chapters 2, 3, and 4. So chapter 1 of the book of James is earmarked by faith and growing through trials as well as uh, how to react to certain temptations. Now guys, really and truly our life, how we react to temptations today is more important than the temptation itself. Chapter 2, you know, is earmarked by uh, speaking of the royal law of Christ and how to treat others around you, namely fellow believers. Chapter 3 is earmarked by our communication, how to use our communication, and why it's so important, and when not to use our communication. In chapter 4, as we heard the last time I had preached that, on that, was, uh, was concerning worldliness and its cure. But when we get to chapter 5, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a broader responsibility that begins to take place here for the believer and within the church body. It begins to reveal a responsibility that each and every one of us have, not just the pastor, not just the pastor's wife, not just deacons and all the but everyone involved in the local New Testament church. It's a responsibility that we have mainly toward one another. It's toward those who have stepped away from the Lord. It's toward those who aren't faithful or not in church or live in a life of sin and they follow the way of the world or they've gone into other things. It shows that we bear a responsibility for those people. We bear a responsibility for their lives. It's not about salvation. These verses right here is not about salvation. That whole idea of salvation is eliminated in the first handful of of words where it says brethren. Actually, the first word, brethren. All right? How many people uh, in here has a a biological brother or sister? Raise your hand. Okay. I don't either. you only job. Me too, only child. So <laughs> my mom and dad said, I'm done. I'm not doing that again. And so <laughs> so in order for them to be your biological brother or sister, they got to have your blood. You guys got the same blood, don't you, to a certain degree. You got the same genetics. You got the same mom, same daddy, something along that line. There's, you're a family. There's one particular blood that unites the body of Christ, and guess whose it is? It's Lord Jesus Christ, amen? That's how you become. That's why, guys, listen, I'm very cautious in who, and cautious in who I call bro and, and sister or brother. I, I don't just go out there and every, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry, hey, what's up, bro? I don't do that. You're a brother in Christ with me when you're saved and born again of the blood of Christ. You're a sister in Christ with me when you're saved and born again of the blood of Christ. And I like that brother-sister talk. That, I like it personally, amen? So we need to understand that. That it is settled that it's not about salvation. It's a responsibility that we bear one for another here as we look out towards someone and we see someone that is part of our family sharing the same bloodline of Christ. Someone that we love dearly that we are willing to notice, guys, hey, something is missing here. Now, guys, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak plain uh, a little bit here and, and open up. I'll be a little more vulnerable about how I am. I am not a coddler. I know that probably comes to a surprise to most of you. I'm not a coddler. I, t- I said this morning, I'm a cuddler. I like to cuddle. I don't like to coddle. It, it's not part of my natural. I like to cuddle with her, by the way, not everybody. Okay, so make sure we clarify that as well. <laughs> but I'm just not cut from that cough that, that it's natural for me. Um, to be understanding, to unfaithfulness, to the lack of giving, to weak Christianity, to excuses. Uh, it's a lack, of, I, I see a lack of discipline becoming a plague in our society. And it's a plague within the churches and it has been for the last 50 years. And that's why we've seen the churches, you know, go the direction they have. And, and I just, I, I struggle, okay, in trying to understand and empathize with those who are just simply unfaithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. But, Whether it's a struggle for me or not, God doesn't care. I'm commanded to look out within the body of Christ and find those who need saving from themselves. It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what cloth I'm cut from. The Lord doesn't look down and go, oh, hey, BJ, you know, you don't like doing that, so I'm going to exempt you from those last two verses. It doesn't work like that. I have to correct myself and conform myself to the Word of God. I don't need to try to correct the Word of God to conform it to me which we see happening today in the world. There are people out there that need someone who has the wherewithal, the care about their life to rescue them. Rescue them from drowning, if you will, who's in a dangerous environment. I was a lifeguard growing up in in Florida. And in my teenage years, I remember the lifeguard training. Our instructors would tell us that lifeguarding is is 99% boredom and 1% terror. (laughs) I was like, oh, boy, I can't wait for this summer job. And uh, But but it really it really is. And the majority of the time when we were going through training, people would flat, our instructors would tell us that the majority of the people that you're going to pull out of the pool or pull out of the gulf or pull out of the water or pull out of the lake, they've done something just stupid. It's, it's some ill choice they've made. But nonetheless, you got to go get them. I was doing some reading on that, doing some statistics that the major contributing factor of drowning is the inability to swim, which is the fi- fixable situation. Alcohol is involved in approximately 50, 50% of fatal drownings and 35% of non-fatal drownings. People have drowned in as little as 30 millimeters of water while it's laying face down. And did you know that it only requires a tablespoon of water in the aerial sacs in the lungs for someone to drown? It doesn't take much. So even though most of the drownings, statistically speaking, are a result of someone's ill choices, at the end of the day... People still need saving. People need to be pulled back. If we choose not to save our fallen Christians, our wayward brothers or sisters, guys, we become guilty of negligence. We become guilty of willingly ignorance, turning a blind eye, a deaf ear. It'll be okay. James teaches us that church is more than singing. It's more than praying. It's more than preaching. We are all to be rescuers. We are to be in the lives of others. So, James again is closing his letter, and he's closing it with these words Brethren, if any of you, again, speaking to saved, born again, blood bought souls, fellow believers, fallen Christians who are functioning as sinners, and therefore we are to become in the business to bring them back. And you say, Well, preacher, you know, they made their own bed, let them lie in it. Flip those tables. You ever made your own bed? You ever made some mistakes? You ever been in a situation in your life where the only place that you could ever look up because you were down so far was up? I have. I've been there. I've hit that. I've bottomed out. I've despised days and even life. I've been at that place before in my life. And I thank God tonight that there was someone that came and says, listen, let me pull you out of that hole. But the first thing I want you to notice tonight is going to be our source to determine whether or not someone is living right Whether or not we are living right. And that source, my friend, is going to be the truth. It's always going to come back to the truth. I'll go ahead and give you the ending right now. It's always coming back to the truth. The Bible says there, do err from the truth and one convert him. So the measuring rod today is going to be truth in our life and the lives of our brothers and sisters. It's the spirit level of our life and the determining factor and and whether we are living right or wrong truth is defined as an absolute standard by which reality is measured it is not based upon feelings truth is not concerned with how we feel or what we think or our opinion there's no vote there's no committee truth is just what it is it's only concerned with facts the truth is only true because god said it's true so many times i got true in there truth is only true because god said it's true. Anything God says, it's truth. Anyone who disagrees with them, uh, they become a lie. If anyone disagrees with any subject that God said something about, they're a lie. You say, preacher, do you live by that? Absolutely, man. Are you kidding me? I got a busy enough life the way it is. I don't need to make it complex. I'm going to make it as simple as possible. If God said it, it's true, whether I believe it or not. I I remember a friend of ours used to have a t-shirt that said, God said it, I believe it, it's true. And uh, somebody said, that's wrong. He said, what do you mean that's wrong? He goes, hey, God don't care whether you believe it or not. Truth is truth. And so he took a marker and he, he marked out that middle section there. And because that is, that's the true fact about it. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 4, it says, He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 22 says, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Think about those words for just a second. Think about how many people that we are around every single day that openly and vocally deny Jesus Christ as Messiah and Jesus Christ as God. And good, decent, moral people, but they deny that Jesus is the Christ. They have fallen from the truth. They're not in the truth. They are a liar. 1 John 4, verse 20 says, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Now we're back to that brother talk. Now I want you to think about a brother and sister in church that's wronged you. and man they, just, man, they just did some nasty things. They were just wrong people, and they treated you bad, and they talked about you, and they stabbed you in the back, and you're like, man, I hate them. Oh, the Bible actually says if you hated your brother, you were a murderer. Think about that for just a second. How can you love God and hate someone that God died for? You understand? 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10 tells us, he that believes on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believes not the record that God gave his Son. And that's where we really kind of get down uh, to the nitty-gritty, if you will. There is a record that God gave his Son. Where is that found? In the Word of God. In the Word of God. What is our, where, where do we find truth? We find it right here. Ah, What about the contradictions? They're only apparent contradictions. There is no contradiction here. It's only to be rightly divided. Amen? You come to me with any contradiction you have in the Bible, any confusion you have, we'll sit down, we'll open the book up, we'll get you sorted. Very simple. Again, we'll go back to simplicity tonight. Romans chapter 3, verse 4 tells us, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. At the end of the day, When someone wanders away from truth, they're wandering away from Jesus Christ, who is God. Because Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. It's that simple. They've wandered away from Jesus Christ. The moment you disagree with God, you are separating from truth. And unfortunately today, we have believers uh, uh, wandering from truth to be accepted by the culture. And too many people just want to be popular rather than stand upon the Word of God. You know, I never was. I never was driven, which is weird. But I never was driven about, with popularity wasn't that i had a big? Wasn't that i thought i was all this and that and it wasn't that at all i would have rather I, you know 19 years on the gridiron i loved it i loved the limelight i loved the fanfare i loved everything about it the grueling hits the sweat the blood the snot you name it all loved it all man the cheers i mean listen and when that when the first year out it was dark it was a dark time coming out of that but i never was that guy to say hey look at me it just wasn't me i, I, didn't, I didn't care whether i was popular my mindset was I'm in my little world here, and I have this job to do. My job is to cover that, that gap right there and to take that guy's head off. And I don't care what you do. You do your job. I'll do mine. And at the end of the day, everything will be fine. But, guys, we have people today that name the name of Christ. and they're more interested in what the culture has to say than what Christ has to say. And I can go ahead and tell you right now, that ain't me. You know, If I was concerned about people's opinion, I wouldn't say half of what I said, and I wouldn't preach what I preach. What I'm concerned about tonight is the truth of the Holy Scriptures, because I know. I'm living proof this evening. That's the only thing that's going to make a difference, not only just in eternity, but in the very life you're living right now. Now, this separation, again, I want to reiterate this. The separation is not in terms of salvation. You can't lose your salvation. Guys, it it wasn't yours to give. It was his to give. I mean, you can't lose what you couldn't earn, Do you understand. But this is in terms of our life on this earth. So the main concern of the passage, and I want us, you're going to see the two verses now. The main concern of the passage in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 it's not, the, it's not the fallen away brother or sister. It's not the one that's the sinner. That's, that's not where the highlight of the message is coming and, and the, the responsibility is being placed. It's placed on those of us who are supposed to get them to, to leave where they are and turn back to the truth. Read the full text with me now. James 5, 19 and 20 says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one converteth him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. We have a responsibility as part of the family of God to help, help one another, to have somebody's back. You ever heard the phrase in the military that says, I got you six? Does know what I got your six means? If I was standing on a the clock, there's 12 right here, 12 is always in front, six is behind me, I got you back. I got you back, I'm watching your back. That's our responsibility. I, I used this analogy here a while back, but remember what Cain said to God after he had sl- after he had murdered Abel, and God came a- looking for him and said, "Hey, where's your brother? What was his response? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer to that question is this: Yeah, you are. You see, Cain was re- answering this question in a manner to where, well, it's not up to me. He's not my responsibility. At the end of the day, he is. We're one another's responsibility. The term that we typically use for someone who has fallen away from the truth and and the same people that James is referring to here in chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, it's what we call a backslider. That term comes from the Old Testament where, where the Lord rebuked Israel as a backsliding heifer, he called them that they have slid away from God. They turned their backs away. They had went the way of Cain and this and that. So the Bible defines a backslider as a Christian who is, a, a, who is in a spiritual state where they are knowingly, willingly, and consistently pleasing self. So the, the backslider is a Christian who has adopted a lifestyle of pleasing themselves instead of God. Still saved. Still going to heaven. And beloved, so that when this happens in our fellow brothers and sisters' life, we are to be actively on the alert to go after the back the backslidden. We are to strive to get them to turn back. I want you to think about it like this, and this is an illustration. I don't know why. I go, all, I go all the way back uh, to my childhood with this. When I, I lived in this neighborhood in Alabama, I lived in Birmingham, Alabama, That's where I was was born and raised as a young child, and uh, then we moved to Florida. And uh, so we would take off on our bikes. Summertime, man, we lived, if we wasn't on the baseball uh, field, we was on our bikes. We lived on our BMX bikes, man. That's just the way it was for hours, among hours, among hours. My mom used to have this whistle. She'd go outside, and she'd start blowing that whistle. And wherever I was, a couple miles away, buddy, I better get home and get home quick, man. But I, rem- I remember, you know, one time we, we were hitting these trails. We were, I mean, running all over the place, and we were going to go to the water tower. That's what you always heard. And what it was was a big, massive water tower that had fallen over. Well, as we got to the water tower, it wasn't only a water tower. There was a ravine there. Apparently, this was an old logging road that had a bridge at one time, and the bridge had washed out. Now, when I say a ravine, keep in mind, I was about ten and eleven years old. Uh, you know, in my mind, it's about two or three hundred feet deep. You know, I'm, I'm looking. Man, this is terrible. Because you, know, you know, as a kid, you let's go stand on the edge. That's a smart thing to do. You know, but you know, so I think about that that washed out bridge. I, what I want you to think about: imagine being on the phone with your your family member, your friend, or your neighbor, and you're just chatting away, and all of a sudden they've taken a wrong turn, and I don't really know where I am right now. Do you know where I am? Can you look it up on the Google Maps where I am? I was like, yeah, you look it up, you're all talking, talking, you know, having a good time. And, and all of a sudden you see on the sat-nav, on your sat-nav, on the maps, where they are, where they're located, where they're heading, doing about 50 miles an hour, and just talking about the sun and the rain and all this and that, and you look at the inside of that, that map, and then you see that the bridge is completely washed out. 200-foot ravine. So my question to you is, how's that conversation going to go now? You're going to keep talking about the, the weather and the flowers and the birds, and all, are you gonna, or are you going to say, stop, please stop? I mean, I hope and pray that you would beg, plead, and, and scream and yell, stop, turn around, do a three-point turn, do whatever you've got to do, but stop going in the direction that you're going. You better do that or they're going to lose their life. This is our responsibility. This is our charge. It's our duty one to another if you will, using the truth to help lead a follow a fellow fallen brother or sister in the Lord to turn back from their error. But there's still one key component that's missing. If we're going to help our brothers and sisters, first off it's going to be through truth, okay? Why do I one reason I say truth, guys, is um there are people in this world, they can, they can sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. They just can't. There are people in this world, think about that one for a bit. Yeah, that'd make a mess, won't it? But there are people who can do those kind of things. They got a silver tongue, they're slick with the word, they're good, they're salesmen, saleswomen. I mean, they can just, man, they can bring it. People can see through that. See, the missing component quite often, many a times in us helping our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to establish it with the truth. We're not going to try some, you know, three-point outline that's going to bring somebody out or seven steps to joy or 12 steps to glory or, you know, something like that that's going to bring, hey, you know, you know buy into this program. It, it's the truth is where it starts and, and stops. You want them to turn back, but guys, you've got to be close enough to touch them. You've got to be close enough in their life to touch them. Remember our text verse, brethren. If any of you do err from the truth, imagine this yellow line being a picture of the truth, and you begin to step away from the yellow line, step away from the plumb bob, if you will. And one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. How are we able to touch someone? One of the things that we need to understand is we got to be close enough to notice when someone's not hitting on all cylinders. I, I know I have people in my life that I can walk into a building, and within seconds, what's wrong? You okay? Everything all right? And I think that I can hide it pretty well. Apparently not, but anyway, you know. The fallen brother or sister guys, at the end of the day, they need to be realigned. They need to be realigned. That, that's the key. They need to, you need to help bring them back to, to the proper alignment. And that's kind of the committee that we're on. If we're going to be part of that committee, guys, we need to be close enough to notice when someone's dipping away. To notice when someone's sliding away from the truth. Not only do we need to be close enough, we need to care enough. We need to care enough. You ever gotten that phone call, that text message, hey man, just checking on I and say how you're doing? They care for you. Not only that, guys, we need to be we need to commit enough to see things through. Even though you may be told to go away, I'll get back to you later. Ghost or whatever it may be. Even then you need to pray diligently. So the responsibility to realignment, guys, it, it, it may require, it may require us to get a little dirty. It may require a little work in our lives. Some of us tonight can probably think of that one person that we know uh, was in church, loved the Lord, and uh, they were doing this and that, X, Y, Z, and they have just gone the way of the world, and maybe you keep up with them on social media, and you see them doing things that, that, that are just ungodly things, and you see those things, and I'm not telling you to judge them by preferences or opinions, it doesn't really matter what I prefer or what your opinion is, but what matters is to look at them through the lens of truth, with the Word of God. It's going to take work to bring some people back. I've used this illustration before, and I'll use it again, maybe not here, but I can remember changing oil in in, in my cars, and um, those of you who know me well enough, I don't like getting a lot of stuff on my hands, okay? Um, I'm a worker, I'm a sweat worker, but I don't want food on my hands, and I especially don't want something that's going to stay on forever and ever and ever. I'm just like that, okay? We have gloves in the kitchen for when I handle meat to cut, and I I just don't want to touch food. That's just the way I am. Amen? But I can remember getting, uh, getting, the, uh, getting the, the tub out and getting my tools out and having the big blanket on the floor, and i get my gloves on, get a couple pair of gloves on here, I'm going to keep all that oil off of me, and get my tool, take out take out the little stopper and let all the oil run out, and then put it back in there. Of course, typically it falls in the oil, but anyway, you know, get it back in there, put the oil back in, and I'm like, man, I did a pretty good job Take my gloves off, get everything put up, put it away, throw it away, everything's away, then all of a sudden, Man, my whole arm's covered in oil. No matter what precautions I would take, there's going to be dirt, grime, and oil somewhere on my body. And beloved, sometimes when you care enough and you're committed enough and you see that that fallen brother or sister has just veered away from the truth, sometimes you're going to get a little dirty. You're going to get a little sweat. I'm not talking about dirt and sin. I'm not saying go out and sin with them. That's wicked and vile. I would never condone nor promote that. But I am telling you this, it's going to cost you something. It's gonna get the job done. So tonight you may be a little apprehensive to becoming that rescuer, becoming that one who's willing to step out. I told you here earlier that everything comes back to truth. It comes back to this word right here. You may be saying, Well, how do I do it? I don't have the word, the verse on the screen, but I'll give it to you. You can write it down. It's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine. All right. That doctrine means that's what's going to get you saved, and that's how you live. All right. There's different doctrines in the Word of God. And that's why, second that's why we're told in 2 Timothy 2 15 to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not being ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All right? The word has to go into its right way. We're not doing blood sacrifices anymore. Jesus Christ brought an end to that, did he not? He finished it, the law, on his cross once and for all. So the word of God is given for doctrine. That's all 782,137 words. 3,114,480 letters comprised of 39 books in, uh, in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, total of 66. I'm saying all that to say this. Every single one of those words are inspired of God and are not to be taken lightly, corrected, or changed. It's good for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. You know what reproof is? It exposes you. Actually, the word reproof is technically a scientific term that means to test or to prove. So when the Word of God is good for reproof, when you look through the lens of the Word of God and you look at yourself or you look at your brother and sister and you say, okay, you know, are, am I or are they lining up with the truth of the Holy Scripture? And all of a sudden you'll find that that reproof, here's the reproof and you're stepped off on the line just a little bit. So it's good for reproof. But I'm, I'm, I'm thankful tonight that the Word of God just doesn't give, give us the, the direction of, of to get saved, which is eternal, praise God for that. And then it doesn't just stop there and say, well, I'm going you know, to expose your wrong. It also is profitable for correction. The Bible tells us that it's, it's profitable for correction as well. What does that mean? It means, okay, now I've showed you where you're wrong. Now let's get you corrected. And then finally it says instruction in righteousness. So not only can it show you where you're wrong, it can correct you to get you right, but then it can keep you right. Amen. That's what we're talking about tonight seal the deal, the next verse, verse 17, says that the man of God may be perfect. That means mature, truly from the inside out, furnished unto all good works. So I'm saying this tonight to you, and I'm finished. This is our part. You know, to close with all this in hand and heart tonight, my friend, I want you to understand that when we see a beloved brother or sister of Christ err from the truth or veer off the road, It is the truth that we use to turn them through a touch of kindness, a touch of compassion, a touch of love to bring them back to where they need to be. Again, if you're afraid to do that, just ask the Lord for help. If you're fearful, just ask the Lord for help. But as a rescuer tonight, we are designed, we are trained to save lives from a dangerous environment. Now, praise God we're all here together tonight, but you never know, man, There's some, there may be someone missing this evening, missing next week, or, you know, someone you haven't talked to in a long time that, you know, man, they may have some troublous times in their life. They may be going through some, some scary situations, and all they need is a quick phone call, a quick text message, checking on you, just see how you're doing. Those little things go a long way, and to make a difference, and in reality, guys, you never know, it may eventually save their lives. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you for this evening. I pray now for your continual guidance, grace, and mercy. Lord, I ask you to take your words and write it upon the table of our heart tonight. And I pray that we would take this message this evening, that we would take it to heart. That, Father, we would not be soon forgetful, but be rather mindful to look for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that we may be able to assist in their rescue to help save them from a dangerous environment and circumstances that may bring upon death. We ask you, Lord God, to lead God and direct us, protect us as we depart one from another here in a short time, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope that teaching and preaching of the Word of God was a blessing to your heart tonight. Let's stand for our closing hymn, then we'll have